Well, good morning and welcome to Friends Church. It's great to see you here worshiping with us. And I hope that you had a, uh, a, great, uh, a great Christmas. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a numbers guy, so I tend to put these things on scales, you know, use numbers hopefully on a scale one to 10. Yours was a 10. Uh, I know though we live in a world where not everything's always a 10, so I'm, I'm hoping yours was at least in that five to 10 range, you know, on the, on the better half uh, than the worst half. And, and as we think about uh, uh, all the things that we went through Christmas and a lot of times we get together with families and we start reminiscing and all those uh, uh, memories come up. And preparing a sermon and reminiscing, talking with family and all that, I, I, uh, I got to remembering this week a little bit, thinking about um, a time in my life back in 1976. 1976, it was the summer, it was the bicentennial year, it was just shortly after the bicentennial, when uh, we headed down to the Columbiana County Fair. Now, you may say, What's the, where's the Columbiana County Fair? Well, uh, I'm from Columbiana County, that is on the northern edge of Appalachia, and so that is south of Youngstown, but being on the northern edge of Appalachia, I can guarantee you that pretty much every vehicle in the parking lot here was a truck, and it had a gun rack in it. <laughs> and so that's the Columbiana County Fair, a small fair. But this year was a little special to us because as part of a celebration, and I think as part of the Bicentennial celebration, they had asked the West Branch High School show choir, Young and Alive, to come and sing. And just happens that going into that next year, I was a senior and Sheila was a junior at that time, we were dance partners in that Young and Alive team. And uh, wow, <laughs> there we are. Uh, getting, uh, that is a performance and, and that was 1976 or maybe early 77 as, as we were performing and, and enjoying singing together and dancing and entertaining and all the things that we did back then. But this time we were in the summer. Normally we didn't do programs in the summer because school wasn't in, but it was special. We got together, we practiced early, and we went down and, and sang at the grandstand at the fair. And uh, we had to get there ourselves, though. And Lisbon from Damascus was about a 15-mile drive, and, and so it was a little bit of a drive. Plus, we had friends we had to pick up. In fact, many of the other girls who were in the group needed a ride and they were friends of Sheila. So I got in my 19, I believe it was a 1966 Pontiac Le Mans. Yes. And that, now I don't, that's not the exact, but that's very close. Color and everything is very close. 1966, 67, I don't remember the exact year, Pontiac Le Mans. And, and we drove and, and I had to go pick up girls. And so that didn't sound right, did it? <laughs> Okay, uh, well, Sheila was with me. We went around, and we, we live in the country. Sheila lived on a farm, and so we were going down back roads and picking up uh, different uh, the girls that needed, needed a ride to the fair. And it just so happened as we were coming back, on our way to the fair, we were going to pass Sheila's house again, the farm. And so as I was driving and getting close to Sheila's house, not quite there yet, my car died, just stopped. I pulled off the side of the road, and I, you know, nothing. Um, so this, you're going to have to picture this. Since I was the only one that obviously could handle a steering wheel, um, about five or six girls in long dresses got out and pushed me down the road. <laughs> 
up the incline into Sheila's family's drive, up to, up to where we could leave the car at her house. Now, we were thankful that it conked out just in front of her house, but, uh, but I was also thankful for the ladies who pushed my car while I stayed inside. And, um, and so we got her parents' car and drove down to the fair and we performed. And after the performance, I saw my parents and I said, Dad, I, I don't understand. I said, my car quit. We had to drive Sheila's dad's. It's, I said, it seems to me that it's not getting gas. And he says, really? I says, I says, yeah, it just, it just seems like it's not getting gas. I, I don't know. And so, uh, and so we come home and my dad drives out. It's only three miles between our houses. He drove out and, and I got and I showed him nothing. I said, dad, it doesn't seem like it's getting gas. And uh, I had the hood up because I knew he would know what to do. So he looked in there and he looked around and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and uh, he looks in there and he looks around and finally he gets on his knees and he looks under his car, under my car. And he looks at me and he says, well, where's your gas tank? I go, what? <laughs> he goes, you don't have a gas tank. <laughs> I says, you're kidding me. And he says, no, where is it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so we retraced our, straps, our steps or our, 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 where we had driven. And we had driven on some back roads, gravelly roads, uh, country roads back then. I think a lot of them now have been chip and sealed, but they were really bad back then. And sure enough, I had hit some, on a dirt road, I had hit some things. And my, about two miles back, my gas tank had fallen off. And somebody had taken it, must probably was in the road. And they had taken it and drug it into the ditch. So we found my gas tank. I'm now... I know how far you can drive without a gas tank. <laughs> About two miles in a 67 Pontiac, 66 Pontiac Le Mans. So, um, so that was a life lesson for me is always look under and see if you still have your gas tank when you have run out of gas. And uh, it was reflecting on that story this week and I, I got to thinking of many of my conversations with people that kind of go along this same line. Uh, you know, as, as I answer phones here at the church and I talk with people, and even as I greet people out here in the lobby in different places, uh, I, I tend to ask, you know, how you doing? And the answer, the number one answer is I'm fine, I'm great, I'm wonderful all the time. But the number two answer without question is I'm tired, I'm empty, I'm exhausted, I'm worn out. That just comes to me again and again and again. This morning before the first service, I walked into the room over here and we were praying with the worship team. Put my arm around one of the guys in the band and I said, so, how's it going? And he looked at me and he said, I'm tired. And I said, son, you just became a sermon illustration. Thank you. <laughs> We get worn out, and it's all those activities of life. We've been through a tough season right now. We've been through a, a hectic season. But on top of that, all the other extra, just ordinary things that come in our lives, our jobs, our families, uh, all the things at school, and, and, the, and the pressures that come in on us, not to mention all the things that take place here at church. And if you're involved, you know what I mean. You give and you give and you give. And, and, and at some point you say, I'm running on empty. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. It happens. And it happens to all of us. 
As I thought about that, I was reviewing one of my, reviewing one of my favorite books that, that has helped me in this situation by Gordon MacDonald. It's called um, Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. And in there, he lists seven um, conditions that threaten our spiritual passion. Because, you know, when we're dried out and we're tired and we're exhausted, it doesn't just affect our bodies. It affects our emotions. But then it also affects our spiritual condition. It affects our, our relationship with Christ. And we find out that, that it's not just the ordinary things, but then when the big things hit, what I call interruptions, the health problems, the job losses, the family situations, the deaths in the family, those things really hit when we are dried out. And in this, Gordon MacDonald says this. He said there is these seven conditions, but I want to focus on these first two just for a minute. He says there's a drained condition and there's the dried out condition. The drained condition is where you may feel this morning. You've given and you've given and you've given and you've given. You know, sometimes you walk into a church service and you say, well, I doubt if this is for me because I'm not, a, I'm not the, the bank robber. I'm not the murderer. I'm not, you know, I'm, I haven't done anything bad this week. You know, so, so maybe I can tune this one out. But I think this one, this one strikes especially close to those of you who give so much. To those of you who are in church every time, who are giving to the children's program, who are so involved in all the activities that go on here in youth and adults and growth groups and everything, you give and you give and you give and you give and you get in this drained condition where you've done nothing but go out. You do not have an inexhaustible supply of energy, of resources. Your spirit is not inexhaustible, the inner spirit. It can and it will be depleted. Because this drained out condition a lot of times goes right in connection with the dried out condition. And the drained out is giving out, giving out, giving out. The dried out is failing to take in. In fact, McDonald says this quote, if the one who is drained has reached the state of exhausting resources, one who is dried out has reached the state by not taking into the inner chambers of life in quiet quite some time. This can happen to the most talented, to the most resourceful, to the most gifted individuals. Worship team members, I played on a band, in a band, or, or sang in a band for years and years and years and, and led worship, and I know what it's like in being involved, and in, even in worship and in, in, in being employed at the church, to give and give and, and to never take in. I've been there. You've got to take in at times. And he's saying if we give out, we're drained out. We're drained. If we fail to take in, we're dried out. So what are we going to do about it this morning? And I tell you what, I'm not going to give you a step-by-step-by-step-by-step-by-step of how to restore your spiritual passion. Because I got great news for you. Starting next week, Pastor Kevin's going to start a series on Code Blue with reviving your, your dried out, your, your flatlined spiritual life. And I encourage you to do that. So that's not the approach I want to take this morning. This morning I want to take a little different approach. I want to say, okay, let's just take a time out this morning. And let's reflect, and I want to pray for you, I want to bless you, and I want to give you encouragement. And where do we do that? We find that in God's Word. And so if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Starting with verse 14. Ephesians three fourteen. And this is just an encouragement, and this is a prayer. In fact, we are reading this morning an actual prayer, and it's my prayer for you, and I hope it becomes your prayer. But he starts off, Paul starts off with this, for this reason. Well, 
If he starts off for this reason, we need to do a little explaining on background. And, and maybe it would help just to understand the book of Ephesians just a little bit. Ephesians, unlike a lot of books, is not written because of a specific problem. You know, Paul's not saying, you've got this problem, here's a solution. You've got this problem, here's a solution. You've got this problem, this is a solution. It's a more general book, a more book of encouragement. In fact, if we could say Paul is saying two things, he is saying, remember what God has done and celebrate what he's doing. Remember what he's done and celebrate what he's doing. Remember what he's done. He said, you know what? You Gentiles, had, you know, you had no claim to anything that we are talking about here. You were outside. This was not for you previously. But look now, you have been included. God has reached out. God has done this. God has brought salvation to you. You now are part of this family. In fact, he says, you're so much part of the family. Earlier in chapter 2, he said, you are heirs. You are heirs. You're part of the family. Celebrate what God's done. Celebrate it. He has done great things. Remember, remember all the things he's done to bring you into the family. And then he says, remember. He's saying, remember, or celebrate, remember and then celebrate, celebrate what he's doing now. In fact, if you read earlier in chapter three, he said the church is God's chosen instrument to spread, to reach. Celebrate what God is doing in the church. Do that, do that. That's what he's been saying. But verse 13, just before here, he has these words. He says, do not get discouraged. Do not get discouraged. Because there are going to be problems. In fact, don't get discouraged about me. I'm in prison. But don't get discouraged. Don't get empty. Don't get dried out. Don't get exhausted. And so he says, for this reason, verse 14, I want to kneel before the Father for whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. First of all, he's kneeling. Not a common position, really. Uh, the Jews tend to pray standing up. Even the Greeks, when they prayed to their gods and goddesses, would pray standing up. But this, right now, Paul is saying, I'm passionate about this. I'm laying prostrate here. I'm on my knees. I'm praying to God for you, church. I'm praying for you. And then he says this kind of strange thing. He says... Um, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's, that's a little hard to understand. But the reason that's kind of hard to understand is because we're reading it in English. If we were reading it in Greek, the way Paul wrote it, we'd see a word play here, and we'd say, ah, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Let me share it with you. He says, first of all, I... I kneel before the Father. And he uses a Greek word there, patreia, patreia. That is the same word, and he's praying in the same way that Jesus prayed when, in the Lord's Prayer when he said, Our Father, Petraea, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he says, I pray before, kneel before the Father, Petraea, from whom every family in heaven and earth, and family is patria, patria. So do you see the word play there? He's saying you get your name, family, Patreia, from Patreia, father. He said, I am the very father. God is the father. And, and, and we come together and, and we've been adopted. We're now heirs. We're part of the family. So he says, do you see this? We have been brought into God's riches, into God's, into God's uh, favor. Just as a child would be brought in as a part of the family. 
even though we were Gentiles, even though we were separated. And he starts right there, and he goes on this in verse 16, and he says this. So I go to the Father, and I pray, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A rich, rich verse. He's saying here, what you need, you need is strength. If you're exhausted, if you're tired, you've come here this morning, you said, I've been beat down by all the things, all these normal things in life, let alone those interruptions. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, you don't get discouraged, and I'm gonna pray that you have strength. You know, he doesn't pray that you, your circumstances change. He doesn't pray that he gets out of jail. He doesn't pray that you get a new car with a better gas tank. <laughs> he prays, God, strengthen him, strengthen them. And that's, that's what his prayer. But he says, but this strength, this strength is going to come out of, look at that, glorious riches. Glorious riches. Can we go back one more slide so we can read that white there? Yeah, thank you. The glorious riches. The glorious riches. I know some rich people. I've had clients that are very rich. I would sometimes say filthy rich. I don't know if I've ever used the term glorious rich. <laughs> but they've been extremely rich. But I think about this, I thought about this in comparison to God. I thought there's two differences I see right away. First of all, although they may be rich, they may be filthy rich, they may be extremely rich, there is a limit to their riches. There is a limit. You can write check after check after check, but one day they will run out. Psalm 50:12 says this, the world is mine and all that is in it. When God promises and he says, I can deliver out of my resources. He can do it because he owns it all. I got thinking about this. I know this is not good theology, and my son who's here, a theologian, would probably kill me for this. But I see God is, I, I, this is how, how, it, how it speaks to me. God is up there, and, he's, and, he's, and, and he knows what I need. He knows what I need for the circumstance. He's, he's got it, but I can see him up there saying, where did I put that? You know, have you ever been, where did I put my keys? You know, where did I put that? Where did I put that? But you know the thing about God, if, if he forgot where he put it, he can speak it into existence. If you got it all, what you don't have, which I don't even think, can't even understand that, you can speak it into existence. Now, God doesn't forget and God doesn't know, but, but God can speak into existence. God can meet all your needs through his glorious resources. He has it all. The other thing is a big difference between my clients and my God is my client's wealth I have no access to. I would love to have access to some of my client's wealth. You know, I thought if they would hand me their checkbook, I don't need it for very long. <laughs> Five, 10, 20 minutes, just give it to me, you know? I, I don't need it for that long. I just need it for a short period. But I have no access to their resources. Later on, in, well, in to the Philippians, Paul writes this in 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, which are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is my needs 
are being met with his resources. They are available to me. And he will supply all my needs with his resources. Needs for strength, the need for power, the need for his spirit. He can supply those and he can supply your needs through his resources, which are unlimited and which are available to you. If you're tired this morning, if you're exhausted, go to him who's got it all and say, Lord, you know what I need. Give me, provide to me, bless me. So that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That dwell means a lot like you might understand it to mean. It means taking up residence. I've heard it explained this way. If you let me come to your house today and you say make yourself at home, and even if you would leave and you would leave me as man of the house and nobody else around, it's not my house. You know why? I don't know where the remote is. <laughs> In my house, I know where the remote is. It is my house. I dwell there. I'm comfortable. I take residence there. That's the way Jesus wants with us. God wants with us. He says, I want to come in and I want my Christ to dwell in you. Not just, not just a visitor, but someone who takes residence. Someone who's there. Someone who has even the remote. That is what I want. And if you can, if you can, if you can pray, if, if you can pray to be strengthened with God's power and with his resources, Christ will dwell in you. That's the goal in your hearts. Through faith. He goes on, verse 17. And he says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. It's interesting, Paul pulls out an agricultural term and an architectural term. Rooted, get down deep and established, built on that solid rock, firm foundation, established. If, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That's got to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. How wide is God's love? How long is God's love? How high is God's love? How deep is God's love? And this is his prayer. His prayer is that you would understand it. That you would grasp that love and that power. I wondered, as we think about this, how, high, how wide is God's love? How wide is God's love? You know, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should, not have, should have everlasting life. When I was a child, we used to sing uh, that little song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. In the last several months, here on this stage, we've had folks from Taiwan, folks from India, just representing the broad, broadness of God's kingdom and how wide his love is. I started thinking about this past year here at French Church. 
in 2013. The folks that have been up here and shared. Those that have had drug habits. Those who have spent time in prison. Those who have sold drugs. Those who have been steeped in alcoholism. Womanizers. Those who have had addictions of all kind. And yet God's love has been wide enough to include us all. No matter what, God's love is available to you. Yes, amen. God's love is a wide love. How long is God's love? Look at Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's no beginning, there's no now, there's no end to God's love. It's just God's love, and it's there. And you cannot get to a time where God would say, I stopped loving you because it's an everlasting love. There are some here maybe this morning that thinks, ah, you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been. I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, I don't feel God's love. No, this says God loves you with an everlasting love. It will not go away. I learned something a long time ago, and it stuck with me. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, take this with you. And it's, if you're going through a tough time, if you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through that dark time, it's this. Never doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light. Some say, never doubt in the darkness what Christ showed you in the light. Because when we get in the darkness, our vision becomes very, very limited. Sometimes our vision becomes blurry. Sometimes we just can't see because we're walking through those tough times. But it's that time where we have to say, I know I can't see. I know maybe I don't feel God's love, but I know what I learned in the light. I know God's love is an everlasting love. And his love will never leave me. It will never forsake me. Never doubt, never doubt God's love for you. It's an everlasting love. How high is God's love? Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, Psalm 36, 5 says. It just speaks of this limitless love. It's just, it reaches out there. It's, it's beyond. It's so great. It's vast. It's, 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 it's all-inclusive. It there's no limit. Just like there's no limit to his riches, there's no limit to his love. It reaches to the heavens. His supply is glorious of love in the same way his riches are. Psalm 139 says, if I make my home, if I go to the mountaintop, you are there. If I go and have those mountaintop experiences, you are there. But it also says something else. If I make my home in the depths, you are there. How deep is God's love? Psalm 139, if I go to the depths, you are there. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or any of those things that you're going through that are zapping you of your strength, of your power, of your spiritual vitality? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, and here it is, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. No matter how low, no matter what we're experiencing, God's love is that deep. But it's interesting too. He says, I pray that you could grasp a love that surpasses knowledge. A love that surpasses knowledge. 
If you remember, we just got through a passage, a study in, of 1 Timothy, and, and Paul was writing to Timothy for this church at Ephesus. And he was saying there's a lot of people in there who think they know a lot of stuff, who prop up knowledge as the, the end all to be all. And he says, I'll tell you what, there's no way, no way they can ever begin to understand the vastness of God's love. But yet he's saying, I pray for you. I pray that you could grasp it. So my prayer for you is that you would grasp the infinite love of Christ. That you could grasp the infinite love of Christ. That's my prayer. And finally, verse 19. That, that, our response, this is why, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We sang, I surrender all. The goal in inviting Christ into our lives and, 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 and then the power that comes through his spirit is so that we would be experiencing on a daily basis the fullness of God. I can't tell you, I can't tell you for sure that I still have grasped this verse. What does it mean to have the fullness of God in me to the point where it dries out everything else? But if I want to be refreshed, if I want God to move in me, if I want the Lord to, 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 to get rid of that tiredness, I need to open myself up to him. Ephesians 5.18, later in the same book, he says, be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's, that's the answer to your dried out condition. That's the answer to the gas tank that's empty. That's the answer to a life that needs a little spiritual uplift. Be filled, be filled with the fullness of God. And then he closes. Well, my, my prayer, my prayer is that you would be filled with the fullness of God. My prayer for you is that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And then he closes with this great doxology. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Do you believe God is able? Amen. Amen. He is able out of his immense glorious riches to do immeasurably more than you could ask or you could even imagine. I can imagine quite a bit. And my prayer for you this morning is that as you think of this prayer that Paul has just written, that you would say, Lord, I, I'm not even sure maybe what I can ask. I'm not even sure what I can imagine, but I want you to do it. But you know the exciting thing to me here too is this, this prayer was really, it was for individuals, but it was for the church. It was for the church at Ephesus. He's saying, you've been called, you've been brought together, you're going to go out and you're going to make a difference in the world. I'm praying this for you because you've got a job to do. This is serious business. And he knows we have an adversary. You know, I was thinking this past week, you know I'm a football fan. And uh, I was doing some thinking about the Heisman Trophy, which is given to the best college player, which is usually a quarterback in, in, in the country. And uh, I've noticed, and it's been talked about, that there's a thing called the Heisman Jinx. Whoever wins the Heisman Trophy seems to have a bad game right afterwards. And many times, 
doesn't do real well in the pros. And I got to think about that as, as we're coming up to bowl season here. What's the chances are that this year's Heisman Trophy is going to have a bad game, the winner? And I started reading, and one article I read said, you know, there's, there's maybe a reason for it. He said, the reason is usually the winner of that Heisman Trophy is playing in a very big bowl game. And they're about to face the toughest, meanest, nastiest opponent they've ever faced in the, in before. They're probably going to face a defense that wants to destroy them, that wants to ground them into the dirt. And I got thinking about that in our spiritual life. Here we are, doing the work of the church, doing the work of God. But there is an enemy. There is someone who wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that we have, who wants to rob of that joy, rob that, that, that excitement, rob, make us exhausted, make us tired. And he's out there, and he's going to go at us, and he's going to go at us, and go at us, try to defeat us. And so it's so important that we have this power, that we be filled, that we ask God to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine because, with his power because I need it. We need it. I believe that God can do immeasurably more through Friends Church here at Willoughby Hills than he has ever done before. I think best days are in the future. I look forward to 2014, our year of go, when we start looking out and we start saying we can make a difference not only here, not only in the Cleveland area, but around the world. I believe that when, when Willoughby Hills Friends Church sets its mind to making a difference in the world, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We will be moving out and we will be doing it and we will be doing it without exhaustion, with unlimited resources who are at our disposal through Jesus Christ. He can reach us. But, but it's an internal thing. We're not asking God to give us things, things. God, do a work in me. Do a work in me this morning. Do a work in me. October 25th, 1999. Sheila and I were in the Phoenix International Airport. It was a Monday morning. We were getting ready to fly home. We'd been at a, our, our firm's uh, annual partners meeting in Scottsdale for four or five days and enjoyed a great time. But it was Monday morning. We were excited to get back and see the kids. And we were in the airport getting, waiting to get on our plane when we heard that there were all flights over the midsection of the country were being grounded. Naturally, the question comes up, why? So we started going and scoring the news and we saw that earlier that morning out of Orlando, Florida, a Learjet had taken off with golfer Payne Stewart. And they had taken off and they had hit a certain height and certain level of cruising. And all of a sudden, the plane became, at least the people in the plane, were unresponsive. Not responding. And, and then the plane veered off course. And it was going right through the heart of the country with no one responding and off course and not knowing what was going on. And, and they immediately sent up fighter jets to see what was going on. And they, and they reported, they said, the plane looks good. No damage. If you were down and you were looking above, you would say, hey, that plane looks good. It's beautiful. But something had gone wrong inside. The cabin pressure had dropped suddenly and all were lost. And that plane just went across the country on its own mind until I think somewhere around the Dakotas, it hit the ground. All were lost. Because, but everything on the outside looked wonderful. But one on the inside was damaged. It was destroyed. And that's the way we can be sometimes. We can look good. But God wants to do a work in us. Clean us up inside. He wants to fill us. He wants to renew us. He wants to give us a fresh new spirit. I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your prayer with me this morning. I'm going to ask you, if it is, in fact, I'm going to ask us all to stand right now. 
And we're going to put up on a screen this passage that we just read, but it's in the first person. And I hope this is your prayer. And if it is, would you read along with me with all your heart as we pray this prayer? Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen me with the power through your spirit so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, I may have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that I may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The ushers are going to come, and let's continue in prayer. Father, we pray that this morning as we've prayed this prayer, that it would be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, I pray for those out here this morning that need a blessing, that need, just need to be refreshed. The need to know going into a new year that you love them with an everlasting, immeasurable, incomprehensible love. Lord, speak to us. Change us. Fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us with your fullness so that we could serve you with strength and might. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jesus, you can have all. 
2014, I want to bless you one more time with just a prayer, prayer of blessing, prayer of God's provision for each one of you. And it goes like this. Today, I pray that like Job, God would surround you with a hedge of protection and that you would have greater blessings in the latter part of your life from this day forward. I pray that like Abraham, you would grow wealthy with cattle, gold, and silver. That like Isaac, you would plant a field and reap a hundredfold harvest. That like Jacob, with wisdom and discernment, you would grow your flocks and herds. That like Joseph, the dream that God has given you will be salvation to many. That like Moses, the Lord will reveal to you, himself to you, and show you his glory. That like Basilel, who helped build the tabernacle, that the Lord would anoint you for a specific task that he has called you to accomplish. That like Joshua, God will fill you with the spirit of wisdom. That like the children of Israel, you would live in lands that you did not buy, with barns and houses that you did not build, drinking from springs and wells that you did not know existed, and eating from vineyards that you did not plant. That he would bless the fruit of your trees, the grass of your fields, and the calves of your herds, that he would bring the spring and autumn rain, and that there would be none sick among you and none barren. That like Esther, God would give you courage to face your fears and stand for justice. That like David, God would give you a blueprint of what he would like you to build for him. That like Solomon, he would give you a wise and understanding heart. That like Uzziah, there would be good men caring for your cattle in the foothill, and that you would have a love and understanding of the soil. That like Daniel, God would give you ten times the wisdom, favor, and discernment of all those who do not know him. And that like Peter, you would cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and that they would be overflowing. In Jesus' name. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>